0: Guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 4. However, this time I'm not going to do a review because the last time I was here, I got really excited, as I sometimes do, in teaching and I skipped verse number 21. And it was in my mind, I knew something was wrong. the whole time because something kept telling me, you skipped something, you skipped something. And it was one of those very important segments that I really wanted to cover. And I don't know if you guys caught it, but actually it was verse number 21. But in the end, I'm glad I did skip verse number 21 because I do. It was something that I wanted to do at the time and the video was already long And it's something that needs its own discussion. And so I'm glad that I skipped it. So what this video will be about today is dealing with the verse that I skipped, which is actually verse number 21, if I hadn't said it already. Verse number 21 of Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to look at that verse and then allow me to discuss it. Now, I'm going to try to keep the video pretty short. But the reality, the honest truth of the matter is, guys, from this particular verse, it, it can get very extensive and it has even become controversial in a certain way. OK, so without further ado, let's just simply look at the verse of Exodus chapter four and dealing with the whole issue of God's commission to Moses. And God's dealing with Moses's objections as to why he doesn't want to go. And God finally sending Moses telling him, now go, go on and tell Pharaoh simply to let my people go. Okay. so without any further ado, let's look at the verse and then we'll talk about what is so important about that verse. Verse number 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh. All the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. That's a point of discussion. So the Lord is simply saying, we know in that commission, go your way. Go back to Egypt because that's Moses new job that God has given him. Perform all of the signs that I give to you. Not only simply the signs present with him. We know the staff will be one of those issues. Stab turning into the serpent, but all of the miraculous signs that God will give him to perform before Pharaoh. And in the result will be that God would harden Pharaoh's heart that he should not let the people go. This is that which to some seems controversial and it demands a discussion. The whole point is this. If God is sending Moses to the Pharaoh, telling him to let the people go then why would God harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would not let the people go and that's the point why is God doing these things the very thing that is hardening a Pharaoh's heart and, and so that he won't let the people go if God really wants the people to be let be, to be freed by Pharaoh is that some sort of perversion so that God, could perform all of these signs to hurt. And that's what I mean by the sense of perversion with God. And I speak lightly when I say these things, but it does come up. Is there some sort of perversion in a sense that God would do these things because we already know what's going to happen with these 10 plagues, striking Egypt and the Pharaoh. And once we get into it, we'll talk about all of those things. But in a nutshell, the plagues are not things that will take place over a long period of time. The plagues will take place over, for the most part, a relatively short period of time. It will become it will be so devastating. The plague will bring Egypt to its knees. God will literally almost destroy the whole nation of Egypt. With these plagues striking one after another until Egypt is, that's why God said, not the Pharaoh is not going to send you out. They will drive you out. Okay. They won't just get out, take whatever spores of Egypt, take whatever silver, gold, clothing, just get out of here. And that's when even Pharaoh's men will begin his wise men and his counsel need to send these Hebrews out because we're going to be dead men if this continues. That's the point. But the point that I'm making is, so if God truly wanted them Pharaoh to let them go, then why should he harden Pharaoh's heart? Okay. All right. That brings us to a discussion that Paul dealt with in Romans chapter nine. Now here's what you got to understand. We we can't deal with all of Romans 9. We're going to go to a particular verse, that particular passage. And I say the word passage loosely because the passage, that means the thought of Romans 9 actually covers Romans 9, 10 and 11. All three of those chapters is basically one thought and it actually comes from. Romans chapter eight, and and so okay, okay. Let me do my job. Okay, and 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 if you guys understand, if many of you understand it, forgive me. But there are a lot of people who don't understand Romans, and I have seen so many uh, uh, misunderstanding, misinterpretations of the book of Romans because Romans itself has a degree of difficulty. So let me baby you a little bit to understand it. It all comes from Romans chapter eight, when the apostle Paul and Romans chapter eight is Paul's exaltation. Paul is becoming to bless and praise God. That's what he's doing. And that's why he ends when he says nothing can separate God's people from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, things present nor things to come. God's people. And so you have to understand that that's the end of chapter eight. Take a look at it. God's people. By nothing in this world can be separated from the love of God. Therefore, every promise that God has made concerning his elect people. Now, notice I just hit that word elect, elect. Every promise will be fulfilled. God will always hold to that. And that's the idea that he praises at the end of chapter eight. And this is on the basis of what Jesus, the Messiah, has done through his cross. And this is given to us by being sealed with the Holy Spirit. You believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. That's why it is called the spirit of promise, the spirit that God promised to send on behalf of his son and the spirit that seals us. With the down payment, it acts as a down payment that what God has done now He's beginning to do now. He will bring to completion the fullness of salvation in the time to come. And just the fullness of salvation is when God gives us a new body, does away with all of the sin. He brings in the kingdom of God and all of that. Okay, But for now, we don't have that right now. We still have this sinful body that gets sick and die. And but one day we're going to have a new body that will never die. And we still live in this world that is under the power and dominion of Satan. But one day we're going to live in a world that the Messiah will rule over and Satan himself is going to be placed into prison. We don't want to get into all of that. So all of these promises will be fulfilled. And what God did was he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the spirit, the down payment. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us that says one day God is going to bring about the rest. OK, so what Romans 8 does is simply saying he praises God because of all of that. And what Paul is doing in this treatise. And that's what Romans 8 Romans is in a lot of ways. It's a beautiful book. He anticipates people saying he said, well, wait a minute. We're in Israel the elect people of God. And that is the called people of God. Okay. Weren't they the called people of God and, and what happened to them? And by this argument, it means this, and this is what you have to understand the running argument because Paul is talking about all of these things that comes about because of faith in Jesus, the Messiah, because of having faith in Jesus, the Messiah. Once Jesus has come, Boom. That's in Romans chapter seven, being able to be married to this new Jesus. But what is the problem? We're back to Romans nine. Paul's anticipation. He said, what's the problem? He said, but Jesus came. Israel did not believe in Jesus. And therefore, and remember now, there is no other name given unto heaven whereby men might be saved except Jesus' name. And so Paul anticipates this argument. He says, by Israel not believing in Jesus, then Israel is lost, except for a very, very few. Because what? Only a few, G- only a few Jews, um, in comparison to the number of Jewish people, only a few of them actually believed in Jesus. But remember, that's the whole point of John. He came into his own and his own received him not. And so Paul anticipates this argument in verse in chapter nine of Romans. And this is what he begins to deal with. And he begins to simply say how he wished that the Israelite people were saved. But the word of God has not failed. And going back to chapter eight, when he talks about nothing can separate God's people, the elect are secure. And that's what he's talking about. The security of the elect people. You may have heard somebody use the term eternal security, or sometimes people talk about the salvation, how you cannot lose your salvation once granted of God. Okay, but I don't want to get into that discussion even though it is very much a part of this discussion. But let's just work it on through. And so that's when Paul talks about elect. And this is why I kept emphasizing the term elect. Elect simply means call. It comes from, from the word that the Greek word that means called. So elect, eclectox. That's the literal eclectos. The called of God. It simply means those who are saved. So, in, in another words, you're saved. Every saved person is the elect of God. And that's the thing that Paul begins to deal with in Romans chapter 9. And so what he is saying concerning the Jews is all those who are of Israel, Jews, are not indeed truly Israel Jews. He says those who are truly Israel, Jews, are those who are the elect of God, those who are The called of God. And that's why he continues in Romans nine talking about those particular demonstrations, how there is a distinction to those whom God has called and those who are simply of the genetic family of Abraham. And notice and and we can even see that. Notice Abraham had two sons. He makes that uh, particular example in the book of Galatians one from a bonds woman and from Hagar and one from the free woman, from Sarah. Both sons were from Abraham, but only Isaac was called. You see that? That's the Galatians argument that he makes big time. And Galatians is nothing more than a miniaturized Romans. And it basically deals with some of the same issues that the book of Romans do, that is Paul's issue in the book of Galatians, book of Romans from Romans one through, uh, nine through 11. You could actually say 11 in principle sense, but Galatians deals with those issues. And Paul is real hot with that, but let's stay with Romans. And then again, he uses the argument again in Romans, how that Jacob himself had, uh, I'm sorry, not Jacob, but Isaac had two sons in the womb of his wife, Rebecca. And notice Esau, Esau and Jacob. But what did God say? Jacob have I loved Esau, have I hated. So therefore God called Jacob and whole point is neither one of them having done nothing good or evil. Okay. Okay. And what he means by that is this, there is nothing meritorious done that God would grant election. And remember now, the idea of election is the idea of salvation. And that's the whole point that Paul is driving through all of this argumentation. And even that's why he goes into the point that he says is not the one who chooses, but it is God who calls. It is God's choice. And remember, if you must not break the context, what is he talking about? Election, calling, salvation. The whole point is God, God's word concerning Israel that, the, that he called Israel. That's the argument, The holist, holistically the argument. He called Israel, he's defeating, he's, he's defeating the anticipation of what people will say. You said that God's called people can't be separated. Well, what happened to Israel? His whole point is, just because they were Jews of the flesh don't mean that they were truly Israel. Only those who are Israelites are those out of Israel whom God called. And the ones whom God called, which we see in the Bible in the Old Testament is called the remnant. The remnant and the called ones of Israel They came to God, they believed in Jesus, and they indeed are saved, and they will never be separated from God, no matter what. And he defeats that argument, okay? And so it is with that, as he continues the argument, and here's the argument, here's the argument that we've been developing that far. And I didn't want to go through all of the text, I'm trying to deal with Exodus 4 and 21, God says, He will harden Pharaoh's heart. But what you can't miss is if you separate that from the context of Paul's argument, you won't understand what God was saying in Exodus 4 and 21. And you surely won't understand Paul's argument because you always must deal with the scripture in context, one line upon another. And what is he talking about in the first place? You have to stay with that. Okay, so he keeps his whole point as he's been working through and we're about to get into our text with Pharaoh is God calls whom he chooses. He calls whom he chooses. And 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 the difficult part, let me say this, because I had difficulty with this as well. I had difficulty and and no doubt some of you guys are going to have difficulty with this, too. But now and. It may take even years. It may take years for this to really soak into you. But I promise you this, I promise you this. If you stay with the word of God, if you stay with God's word, and and that's why I believe going with the Bible from the very beginning, from Genesis one and one to Revelation 22, all of it, every line. Every word in the context, in the context and prayerfully say, Lord, I tell you what, I believe that this is your word and whatever you say is fine with me. I don't care what you say. Just I pray this. Give me the understanding. That's all I'm asking you. I'm not going to fuss. I'm not going to fight. I'm just asking you help me understand it. If you truly believe that and ask God for that, he'll help you. So I believe one day, even if you struggle with it now, you're going to come to the understanding. That's just God's word. That's God's way. Okay. but my whole point in saying all of that, I just wanted to prepare your heart for a difficult passage. The passage is not extremely difficult to understand. The problem is we're just unwilling to accept it. We just don't want to accept this fact. Okay. But when you work through the text, this is God, this is the God that we serve. And this speaks of, God has so many characteristics about himself. Okay. Parts of his nature. And it speaks of his sovereignty. And once again, sovereignty means power. In other words, I'm God. And guess what? I do what I want to do because everything is mine. All power is mine. Everything is mine. The world is mine and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The, every soul is mine. And even the soul that's sin, that's mine. So therefore, that which is mine, I can do whatever I want. And guess what you got to say about it? Nothing. Now that's sovereignty. That's what I mean when I say sovereignty, and that's what the scriptures mean. Okay. And it also shows grace and mercy of God. I can do good upon those whom I choose to. Okay. I'm not going to preach on all of that. But this is our God, and this is what the so. I'm saying all of that and I know I'm being very slow. The reason why is because it can get difficult. God does what he pleases. Okay, so now let's go back on the thing. So after dealing with the issue concerning Jacob and how God has chosen Jacob over Esau and he uses that strong passage, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Now that's powerful, isn't it? Which shows you preference. Choose one over another. And this whole point again, and and when did I make that choice? Listen, when did I make it? When they were in the womb. Neither one did good. Neither one did bad. Let me tell you something, guys. I will mess you up. I will mess you up. I will take you to the prophet Obadiah. And I'm not going to do it. I guess we got a long, 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 long time before we get to the prophet Obadiah. And you will find that in the prophet Obadiah, Edom, Edom, and Edom is the tribe, is the, is the family tribe that comes from Esau. And you will find out what God will say in the prophet of Obadiah. None of Esau's descendants shall be in the kingdom. None of them. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Beginning from Esau, Esau. The son of Jacob, all the way up, none of them will be in the kingdom. That's in the book of Obadiah. But I don't have time to go through all of that. It is amazing. It will amaze you. But God says, I didn't choose them. But I did choose. I did choose Jacob and his descendants, okay? And so then he brings the argument. He says, So now you're going to say there's unrighteousness with God. He said, Well, how are you going to sit up and, and, and do this thing? So now let's go into that point. So so now let's build to that. OK, let's go to Romans. And I don't want to lose my place here, guys. Let's go to Romans verse number um, 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? And so Paul says may it never be. So what does he mean? What that, what should we say then? So you say. So he's still anticipating what people are going to say when God says I've chosen Jacob, but I've hated Esau. I don't want him. And he said, but now you did it in the womb. You did it in the womb when neither one of them, you said, didn't do. So Esau didn't do nothing bad to be rejected. So God ain't right, is he? And so that's what Paul is anticipating. Verse number 14, when he says, so are you going to say there's now injustice with God? God ain't right because he did Esau this way. And so Paul says, no, indeed, may it never be. Now let's continue. For he says to Moses, what? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Guys, we can really go into this, but it's already long enough. So just let me just deal with it. So again, he refers back to some of the writings of Moses as Moses was dealing with the children of Israel. Notice what he says. I I know I'm babying you guys, but I want you to get a clear understanding, really, really, really clear. And not just hear religious words mumbo-jumbo on TV. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. Remember, he's still talking about the context. What is he talking about? Whom God chooses. Election. Even salvation. And what did he say? I have mercy on whom I will. In other words, I choose who I want to do something with. Remember, choosing Jacob over Esau. God says the choice is mine and mine alone. I don't care what you think. So therefore, in the sense of election, never, guys, please, every time I think election, think even salvation. Think that. God says, I choose. And who I choose, whom I want to choose, okay? It'll amaze you how much this is actually taught in the Gospel of John. The gospel of John speaks of election more strongly than any other gospel. But I'm not going to go into that. So look at what he says in verse number 16. Remember, God chooses who he wills. Talking about what? Election. Talking about what? Salvation. So then, verse 16, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That means, no, so then what? Concerning election and salvation, it doesn't depend on the man who wills. Will means the one who wants to, or the one who desires to. You got it? Desire, okay, put it all, let me put it all together, just in case you guys didn't get it. The man who wants to be saved, or the man who desires to be saved, continuing. But, or, or the man who runs. Runs means effort. The man who is trying to do something to be saved, to be elect, the one who is trying. I'm doing this. I'm trying. Uh, I decided this is what I wanted to do. I got tired of living in my sin. I got tired and I made up my mind that day that I'm through and I'm going to turn to the Lord. The scripture says it's never depending on the person's will or the person's act in doing something. Look, it's right there. But on God who has mercy. What mercy? He just told you, I choose who I want. God has mercy on whom he decides to have mercy. So now watch this. Let's keep on rolling with that context. And remember, I know I'm being overly redundant. And the reason why is it's because of the human heart. It resists. It can't stand this. People either find it unfair to God. And that's what Paul says. You will say that God is unjust. People will say that's unfair. That's unfair. Paul is dealing with that argument. And then the second thing is people is pride. People always want to think that they had something to do with it. Let me tell you something. I, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. And we would have things like testimonial service and I would in doing testimonial service and I learned this and I learned it and I learned to throw it in the garbage because it was completely wrong, not partially wrong, all the way wrong. And you ask people, and you would ask Pentecostal people why they were saved, and they'll tell you the things that I used to do, I don't do no more. And the places that I used to go, I don't go no more. That is so far contrary to the scripture because Paul said this, if you can accomplish salvation by what you did, then tell me why did Jesus have to come and die? If you can do this by yourself, then Christ need not have died because you can handle all of these things. And that's his argument in the book of Romans. That's his argument in the book of Galatians when he's talking about, we are justified, saved, By faith, by believing in God, in the works of Jesus, his whole argument in Romans chapter four, when Paul says, and Abraham believed God, he said, what did Abraham do? Was he justified by works? No, indeed, he was not. And works simply means by what you do. Justification means saved, become elect. Okay. Okay. I was raised in Pentecostal. And they constantly will say that they saved by what they did and that they changed their mind. That is so far contrary to scripture. It is by grace, grace and grace simply means something that God did for you that you did not deserve by grace through faith. Faith means all you did was believe it. That's it. And they asked Jesus, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus said, if you want to do the work of God, then you simply believe on him whom God has sent. If you want to be acceptable to God, believe the one God sent. Believe me, believe I'm the Messiah. That's why Jesus said, and except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are dead. You have no life in you. It's not about what you do. Okay, 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 enough of that. But you you see the point? It is God who has mercy. So Paul is simply letting us know, don't argue with the text, accept it. Notice again, now we get to Exodus 4 and 21. See it now? For the scriptures, notice, now he takes us back. To God's hardening Pharaoh's heart. And that's what he said to Moses. He said, okay, remember, remember, because this is where we come from. I want the children of Israel to be freed, but I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. What? What? And now he gets into that grand explanation. Paul opens up this thing under the ring in the rim of I don't wanna use all of that theological talk, because I do that mess. Might too. I, I, I guess you get trained to do it. But Paul deals with that same issue. But he's talking about the context of salvation. It is God who does these things. Even God who chooses whom he chooses to be saved. God chooses who he wants to be saved. It's not people's personal decision of themselves. God chooses that. And God, and since I'm here and some of you guys may be just getting torn up, God stirs up the faith of the individual to respond. Remember, the scripture said everybody that's back in Romans again, Paul talks about it because of the sin of Adam. You are now born dead. You are dead in your sin and trespasses. A dead man cannot respond. A dead man cannot respond. Notice Paul even says again, Ephesians, God quickens you. That is, that's an old English term that means makes you alive. God makes the person alive so that they can respond. That's why Jesus said in John chapter six, I believe it is. And except my father draw you, you cannot be, be my sheep. No man can come unto me. No man can come to Jesus to be saved, except God himself first has to start drawing him. He can hear the gospel all day long. But if God didn't put his finger on that man and says, I want you to come to my son, that person will not respond to the gospel. And this explains why a person, you can have a group of people hearing the same thing. Some respond and some don't. This is what Jesus was teaching in John chapter six. Jesus said to them, then I say to you, you are not my sheep. That's why you don't respond to me. That's why you don't accept me as the Messiah. You have not because if my father had given you to me, you would come to me because my sheep do what? Hear my voice. Hear his voice and what? Calling them. But notice if you ain't his sheep, you can't hear. You see it now. God has to first put his finger on you. I am saving this person. And then all of a sudden, some, something comes into your mind. Your heart begins to melt. When you hear the gospel, you're responding. Why? Because God has already called you. But let me go on. Let me go on. Cause I don't want to make this longer than what it needs to be. And it already is. For the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. So now what did he just say in that example? So to Pharaoh for this purpose, I raised you up. Notice, what is the purpose? He is showing predetermination of God. I raised you up to be a certain man. Why? So that I can demonstrate my power in you. Notice, I raised you up. I made you who you are to demonstrate my power in you, so that you will be a man who resists me, who resists me. And when you resist me, this will, this will give me the reason to retaliate. So notice, notice, God is saying, just in case you guys can get it, I'm going to break it down. God, tell me about the Pharaoh. He said, let me tell you something, Moses. Before you ever got to him, I've been working on him. I've been making him a callous, hard man, man who won't listen. I've been making him that. I'm already making him that before you even came to him and you telling me to go tell him and let him go. Yes, I am. He said, but guess what now? I got a purpose in mind. I made him to be hardened, made him. So when you ask him, tell him to let him go. Thus saith the Lord, he's not going to do it. And because he's not going to do it, that gives me the opportunity. <claps> get, him. get him, get him, get him. Why? He didn't let him go. He said, but now you made him like that. See, see what I'm talking about? That's what God is saying. He said, yeah, but I made him like that because I want to show the world something. He said, what do you want to show the world? I want to demonstrate to the world my power because by him not letting y'all go by him already. See, watch it. If his heart was softened, Moses went to him, let him go. And he let him go. God said, I can't. He said, I want to show the world something. I want to show the world. There is only one God. And that God is me. And I can only do that through a demonstration of power. All right. So I'm going to prepare this man by hardening his heart so that when Moses come to this man, he won't let him go. That gives me the reason. Let me kind of say it in our term, the justification to punish him. And when I punish him, the punishment will be glorious. The whole world is going to hear about my God, what happened is that God did that. And, the, and this will tell the whole world, God indeed is God. And God is saying, and that's the point that I'm trying to drive across. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use Pharaoh to drive this point. You see it now? Now, it's some stuff I want to say, but I ain't going to say it. I'm going to let the scripture say it. So notice. So he says, he says, so then, well, that's verse number 19. I'm sorry, verse number 18. He concludes, he said, and I've just proven my point. My point is, God has mercy and he's holding it with, with the context, saving, elect. He chooses. He got mercy on whom he, who he wills. Sovereignty. God does what he wants. He wants to use Pharaoh for that. It's up to him to do that. He has mercy on whom he chooses. He can do what he want to do. Now, let's continue on. Verse number 19. And I know it's getting too long, guys, but I'm trying to bring it in. Paul further anticipates. He further anticipates. People's objections. He said, well, okay, wait a minute. You're talking about election. Remember, salvation election, you got to stay with that. And God's even in the sense of punishing people, hardening people. You got it? Hardening. God went and hardened a person even though he he wanted to do something else. Let my people go. But God hardened him. He anticipates people having a problem with God hardening Pharaoh's heart. So he says in verse number 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who resists his will? See it now? Here's the anticipation. How can God be angry with Pharaoh and then punish Pharaoh for not uh, letting the people go when God hardened his heart ahead of time? God was the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart Ahead of time. So now, if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, how can God get mad and then punish Pharaoh when he the one that did it? That's what he means when he says, "How can God find fault?" And notice Paul's response to that, verse number twenty. Notice now that he anticipates people saying again, "God wrong for that." God wrong because what he he all started because from Jacob in the womb being chosen over Esau when Esau didn't do anything wrong. You got it. And he moves on with that same mindset of why God is finding fault and why God wrong. That's what he's keeping doing. He's anticipating people saying God is wrong for doing what he's doing. When one ain't did nothing wrong to deserve this. And again, what Pharaoh, he ain't did nothing wrong to deserve this. Why? Cause God, Harden his heart ahead of time. So he wouldn't do it. Why does God find fault? And so Paul is still answering these questions and he continues to answer verse number 20. What he says on the contrary Who are you? O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder Why did you make me like why I want to preach and Paul preaching right here? Why did you make me like this will it or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. Now let me stop there because it gets just thick. Notice they were saying God ain't right in in judging the Pharaoh when God is the one that hardened his heart so he wouldn't let the people go. And so Paul is now answering, but here's what Paul didn't do: Paul never answered their question because no man has the right to sit in the judgment seat against God. Did you catch what I just said? No man has the right to sit in the seat of a judge and demand that God come before him and tell God. Now you answer these questions and you know where Paul learned that from the whole book of Job, because that was the mindset of Job. What did Job said in his suffering? Remember, See, I can preach. What did Job say? We know that God, the devil came, and I'm not going to go through all of it. But the bottom line is God gave, God gave the devil permission to strike Job's body. Remember that? Job chapters one and two. God gave Job permission. And the devil struck, he hit his family, and he hit Job's Job's body. Remember that? And Job in his sickness, he began to do a, a lot of complaining. And Job's final thing he said was, he said, you know what? I am going to ask God one of these days to tell me why he did these things, why he allowed these things, because the Bible kept saying that Job was righteous and Job was a good man. Remember that? And Job kept arguing with his friend. I've done nothing. I've done nothing. And when God finally shows up, I'm going to ask God why? And when God did finally show up, God said, Job, since you've been asking to see me, he said, finally, gird up your loins like a man. Get yourself together. Now let's have a conversation. Job, you talking about you want to ask me some questions. He said, Job, I got some questions for you. When I formed the sky, where were you? When I formed the stars in the sky, where were you? When I formed the the, the antelope, where were you? And when the baby this gives birth to this, and when this animal does this, where were you? And when this happens, Job, where were you? and God says you want to ask me some questions he said how can you ask me questions and you can't even answer the smallest of questions you are not qualified to ask me to stand as a judge over me and ask me a question and when God got through with Job what did Job say? Job bowed down Job said these words I repent in dust and ashes why? he said because just these words are too wonderful for me I repent, Lord. I can. I'm not qualified to ask you a question. And Job needed repentance, even though he was a righteous man. And okay, enough preaching. But boy, that's what Paul is in his. No doubt. And it's in my mind. And that's what it's saying to Paul and you. You listening to me, you need to get to this point in your life where you says it's not for me to question God. The only thing you want to question God about is understanding. But the why this, the why, and why God said this and why God did that. Who are you? Oh man, who questions God? You're not qualified to stand as a judge and notice, let me get back to the text. Let me get, note what he said. Shall the thing molded say unto the one who molded it. Ain't that some talking? We are the creature. God is the creator. We are the thing made. And Paul's point is, and I'm, I'm going to stop preaching. Paul's point here is this. God says he is the creator. And we are the thing made by God. Guess what the creator can do with the thing that he made? He can make it to do whatever he wishes it to do. And notice again, make one vessel. That's what he means by one vessel to honor and another vessel to dishonorable use. The Pharaoh is there's the context here. The Pharaoh is being used to dishonorable use to resist God. And Okay. Okay. I'm calming down. Let's stay in the broader context. The context of everything is election Salvation. The point. Notice what he said. So see it. See it now. It's, you can't argue the text. Cannot God, who is the Creator of all things, if He wants to make this, that it may be an elect vessel, chosen unto salvation, that's His business. And if He wants to make this vessel, and He does not choose it unto election unto salvation. That is his business. Why? It's his. He's the creator of all things and he can make it however he wants to. And notice what Paul says. And who are you? You ain't got nothing to say about it. That's God's business. And that's his argument right there. But anyway, let's just go on with the text so I can bring this to a close. So where am I now, guys? Verse number 21, uh, 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 no, 22. Then he begins, and it seems like he begins to placate. He, he says, okay, I've been kind of rough on you a little bit. Calm down. Consider this then. That's what the next verse is doing. Consider this. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. See, that's the question. Okay, so let me break that down because God, that's thick. If you just read that, it is hard to understand. This is what he's saying. What if God endured with patience? That's what he means. And Okay, let me just give you the example of it. All right, let me give you the example of it. All right. Concerning the Pharaoh incident because that's where we end now. All right. Now, what you will understand is this when you look at the book of Exodus and you and we'll see this once we get into Exodus. All right. We will take notice of these two things. There are times in the book. I think there's two times. I think twice, I think. And and, and now, don't confuse and I don't want to blabble on and on, but don't confuse when God is making. And I'm I'm using this uh, lightly, generically predicting that he will harden Pharaoh's heart, okay? But look at the actual situation that you're gonna find out when there are certain plagues coming up. It's going to say, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, okay? And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you'll see that for a particular, so when a particular plague is ready to come in, come in, God will do it. That's gonna count as one. I think there are only twice, there are only two times when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You got it? Now, what you have to understand is this, I believe, now don't hold my feet to the fire, but I believe it's about six times, either four, either four to six times, where the scripture says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. All right, so now let me explain. There is a difference and a distinction when God is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he would resist and Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So what Paul is saying here back again to verse number two, uh, what is it? Twenty two. What if God willing to demonstrate his wrath o- o- over the vessel? He in, the point is he endured with patience. That's the Pharaoh hardening his own heart. In other words, there were times all the time. Let, 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 let me give you the very first example. First example. When Moses first goes to Pharaoh and we'll see that coming up and says, let my people go. You got it. God will not harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh will harden his own heart. Now that's extremely important to see. Pharaoh will harden his own heart. So what Paul is saying, what if God and do it with patience, that is, God did not first harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh first hardened his own heart. And that's the point. Pharaoh first hardened his own heart. And it is because Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And sometimes this is a principle that's difficult to see. God therefore hardens Pharaoh's heart in return. You got it? First Pharaoh does it. It is in the ultimate plan of God. Yes, ultimately it is the plan of God. Nevertheless, God still had patience with Pharaoh. He allowed him harden his own heart and then God came back and hardened his heart. This is what is understood. This is what is known in scripture. This is what is known in scripture as judicial hardening. Judicial hardening is it is an act of God in which when a person or it could be a nation, it could be a group or a nation hardens their heart against God. God says, OK, fine. Since this is the course you want to take, I'm going to make it make this the course you do take. Since this is the course you want to take, I'm going to make this the course you choose to take. This is what is called judicial Hardening. Okay, we can see that Paul talks about that in I think it's second Thessalonians talk. Oh, I don't want to get into that. But the whole point is when people reject the gospel of God, since they reject the truth, Paul says, you know what? God is going to close their eyes to the truth. And this is again when Paul talks about when people when the scripture talks about having their conscience seared as with a hot iron that is judicial rejection. When you make your mind up that you don't want to do it, God comes and says, fine, I second the motion. You won't do it now because I don't want you to see it. This you also see in the book of Isaiah, in the call of Isaiah in chapter six, but I don't want to get into all of that, but that is judicial hardening. When God hardens the heart after the person, individual, the country or whatever, continues to reject God, okay? And so this is what Paul is talking about here when he says, what if he says, well, suppose then, so you're mad because God has hardened the individual. Paul says, well, suppose God only hardens the individual after they hardened themselves first. That is, and when they were hardening themselves, what was God doing? He was having patience with them, but they didn't change. And so therefore God says, you want to harden? It's fine. I'm gonna harden you, okay? So now let's just finish this and bring this video to a close. And then he says, uh, uh, notice now, uh, he was willing to make his wrath, his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Okay, the reason why I had to go back there is this. He still did not relinquish, even though God was having patience with them when they were resisting God, notice now, but still that them that were resisting God. OK, this is not it's, it's so beautiful, guys, even though God, he wasn't hardening them at the time, but God was having patience with them. You see it. Look at the text. You see it. Patience with them. All right. But nevertheless, even though God didn't harden them at the time and God was having patience with them. Watch the text carefully. They still weren't different. Okay. They were still Ralph's. Notice, look at the language so closely. Ralph's prepared for destruction. What they were still was not different. Man, it's amazing. Look at it. Okay. The argument for election, the context hadn't changed. Even though God is patient and they're resistant is still It's like God has giving them a chance. He is not saying he's giving them a chance to be saved. Why? Because they are still notice. Look at the language vessels prepared. Prepared means already made for this already made for what? Destruction. So the point is, okay, let me, let me, let me, let me close it. Cause I think I'm starting to babble election being called of God. Okay. And that's the whole context of all of this. It's not the people who choose, not people who choose, not the one who wills. And all of the argument that he's been making from the beginning of the chapter, you got it. It's not about people's choice. It's not about people's will. It's about God's determination his predetermination, his predetermination. That's not based upon what people want to do or what people try to do. Not he who wills wants, not he who runs what you actually do, but it is God who chooses to have mercy. All of this is based on the whole point. His principal argument, God has mercy on whom he wills on whom he chooses. The context of that mercy is all about Israel. Why ain't Israel saved? why isn't Israel saved? and Paul is saying Israel is saved. he said, the point is you are misdefining who Israel is. You think Israel is Israel simply because they are Jews. They are not all Jews. They are not all Israel simply because they are genetically of the Jewish race. They are only true Israel because they are the called ones, the ones whom God has chosen. Which ones? Like he did with the son. Even for Jacob's sake, choosing one over another. So the true Israelite is the one whom God called and the other one God did not call. And he deals with the argument that comes from after that. People get angry because God is calling one over another. And then he goes into the point. He said, God can choose whom he will. Then he gives an example about concerning Pharaoh Exodus, which all of this came from how God hardens his heart. The whole point is God can choose to make a person for a particular use. He can choose to make one a vessel prepared for destruction and he can choose another a vessel prepared to honor. And even as he's finished, he said, let me just finish this last part. And so he did this thing. He chose Pharaoh and he prepared vessels unto dishonor. Then these are guys, okay, unsaved, unelect people. He prepared these vessels unto uh, dishonor. Why? To make known the riches of his glory. That's verse 23. Upon the vessels of mercy. That's who we are. We are the vessels that God chose to save. Because notice the whole point, have mercy upon whom he will, to save whom he will, the elect whom he will, choose whom he will. So therefore, he did to make no his best, his riches of glory upon the vessels of mercy. Which, notice now, see, I'm about to throw you all out. What vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. I'm tired. I'm worn out. But look what, it, what he just said. The vessels of mercy, the ones, the ones whom God has chosen to save. what did he say about those vessels of mercy? He prepared them beforehand for glory. Beforehand means before time, before they knew, before they will, before they ran. Or in other words, okay, break it down so you'll really get it. Before it came into your mind, I want to be saved. Before you were sitting there in the church, on the street, wherever you heard the gospel, wherever you heard it and believed it before that time came, before you came to say, somebody said, do you believe that Jesus is Messiah, son of God, died for your sin, rose from the dead? Because this is what it requires to be saved. That and that alone. That and that alone, he died for your sin and rose from the dead third day. That and that alone. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus, Lord, believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's it. That's it. Before you believe that message, okay, God already chose you beforehand. And notice what it says. He chose you beforehand for glory. And now... What do you think that means to be saved and enjoy all the benefits of God? All right. All right, guys, I know I was long on that. Um, and I know some of you guys are probably going to struggle with that. I, I, I did. I myself did. But again, remember what I said sometimes in the, in the video somewhere. Pray about it. Look at the scriptures. And if you follow and always and this is something that I have learned to do. From the very beginning, I've been studying the scriptures for a long time, but stay in context. Don't ever leave. Say, is this what the writer is talking about? Stay there and be prayerful. Be humble. Always remember, none of us knows everything. Not a person alive. We don't know it all. We don't know it all. Only God knows it all. And this is what he has chosen to reveal to us. But always with a spirit of humility. And you guys probably hear me talk about that a million times in my video, humility. If you were a member of the church that God allows me to serve, I talk about that every single Sunday. Humility. Stop being so arrogant. We're not all of that. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. All of scripture, all of this thing, this whole shebang. If you once you come into a grip of the whole Bible was started against that arrogance arrogance of one, that God would teach him and show him, I am God alone. Everything else I give, everything else comes out of my grace and my goodness. Be humble. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Okay. But anyway, thanks again for joining me on that one. I hope you understood um, some of the principles that actually comes from Exodus 4 and 21 when God was hardening the heart of Pharaoh so that he could display his power and all of this speaks uh, um, generically as Paul laid the foundation for us concerning salvation and election. How God, if you are saved today God has chosen you beforehand for election it's not based upon what you did it's not based upon because you made up your mind. It's because God had determined to have mercy on you, and we should always be thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for having mercy on me. All right, guys. God bless you. See you when we go back to Exodus. See you next time.